It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And now for something completely different. Welcome in to another episode of the Get Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. Last episode of this year's regular season, which I know a lot of people are actually probably pretty excited about. We are going to keep doing this in some capacity. We'll certainly at least be back next week to do sort of a season in review with Will Helms, pro football focus numbers, looking at some of the bigger picture statistics to try to find some more trends. You know, we, we pretty much know why the season has gone the way it has. It's a combination of things, unfortunately, even though that's a generally unsatisfactory answer for people but once we have the full and actual completed body of work take a look back at what has been a very disappointing season for South Carolina and Will and I are going to spend a little bit of time looking ahead to the Clemson game normally we have a game to talk about and that's sort of what we're breaking down on Monday but South Carolina had an open week this past weekend so figured we would take advantage of it to do a little bit more of a preview than we normally get the opportunity to do uh, vis-a-vis some of those pro football focus numbers and bigger trends for South Carolina and for Clemson the other thing we're going to do is take a step back zoom out a little bit, do a little bit of the national picture. Obviously, the college football playoff is taking shape and some interesting developments this past weekend, especially with Oregon getting upset as a 14-point favorite against Arizona State. So we are going to give our top four teams in college football right now, not the the four teams that we think will end up in the college football playoff, but just the teams that we think are the four best in college football. So hopefully that will lead to a lively debate. And then, as I mentioned, get into a little bit of that Clemson preview. And before we get into that, I want to remind you all, again, to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. Those are all great ways to support the podcast, and it helps us keep doing it. So if you like it and you want to hear more of it, uh, like I said, that's the best way to support the podcast. And everyone that has already done that, everyone that has rated, reviewed, subscribed, or shared this podcast with your friends, thank you all so much. Before I get into the cheery, not quite optimistic, but at least energetic part of this podcast, which I think is important because it's rivalry week and rivalries in college football or college sports in general are one of the things that set it apart from most of the other sports that we watch. You know, there are good rivalries, you know, Celtics Lakers and Yankees Red Sox and things like that, but none that really match um, the intensity of college football. And there are, there are a lot of reasons, a lot of emotional reasons that I think college football is incredibly unique. And I think it's really important, especially this week, this rivalry week, to observe some of those things and appreciate some of those things. And as much as it is easy to be nihilistic about what's going to happen on Saturday between Carolina and Clemson, I think it's still important to appreciate the moment and appreciate the opportunity because rivalries are fun. And this is a really, really good rivalry that Carolina and Clemson have, not because it's competitive, but because there are historical elements to it. And it is the, whatever it is, the third longest, I think, undisturbed rivalry in the country and the proximity and the fact that we all live with Clemson fans and Clemson fans all live with South Carolina fans and you know everything about it is just is unique and it's special so I encourage everyone to enjoy that element of it but before we get into that I do have to mention the sobering reality of what's going to happen on Saturday which is that Clemson's probably going to kick the shit out of Carolina and I think everyone realizes that everyone acknowledges it which is kind of sad um, but what really surprised me is Last week, hearing some rumblings of some early lines, you know, nothing in Vegas, but a couple early lines in a couple places that had the line as low as 24 and a half, maybe some of them 24. And then much to my surprise, not only did that line barely move last week for whatever those outlets were that had some of those early lines, but when it did open in Vegas, it opened at 
like 25 and a half or 26, somewhere around there. And some places have, have it all the way down. I say all the way down, but down, it feels like all the way down to Carolina plus 25. Others have had the line creep up just a little bit to 26 and a half. And look, I'm recording this at like four o'clock on a Monday. So it's not like the line has had that much time to move. I don't know how much more I expected to move throughout the course of the week, but I don't think it's going to move the six points, which is where I thought the line was, was going to start. I, I thought anything less than 32 would have been crazy talk. It would have been just a rivalry line. People are expecting weird things to happen because it's in state. Um, maybe Clemson's going to take their foot off the gas, which there are so many reasons to say that they wouldn't do that and almost no reasons to think that they would do that. So I don't know why Vegas would be factoring that into it. But the other thing that I noticed as I was looking at the line and trying to make some sense of it, and this did help me make a little bit of sense of it, is that the over-under for this game is just 51 points. Now, what does that mean? I've had a couple people ask me that because I've mentioned it so like surprised to people today. And they're like, okay, well, so what exactly does that mean? I mean, basically, if you want to do the math, it means that Vegas thinks that Clemson's going to win the game about 38 to 13 or like 39 and a half to 12 and a half, I guess would be the, yeah, I guess that would be the proper, was that right? 39 and a half? No, th- yeah, 38 to, I don't know, 38 and a half, sorry, to 12 and a half. That would be the correct margin. But point is, that feels like a like an uncharacteristically positive result for Carolina uh, in a couple ways. I, I, first of all, I don't expect Carolina to be able to score 13 points against Clemson. Maybe they get a garbage time touchdown late like they were able to against Alabama. <laughs> that garbage time field goal against Texas A&M that didn't actually help Carolina cover. But boy, oh boy, good thing they got six on the board instead of three. Um, I just don't see a scenario where, where the offense is able to score that much unless Clemson spots Carolina a touchdown or, you know, like either on special teams or directly off the defense or even gives Carolina maybe a couple of short fields. Trevor Lawrence has not turned the ball over much lately, but this year I think has turned the ball over more than people expected him to. That was mostly in the early part of the season. And I think this line is ultimately just a credit to Carolina's defense. I think Clemson's only going to score 38. This this Carolina defense is still pretty good. We talk about it a lot on this podcast. Will has the numbers to back it up, and they have talented guys all over the place. You know, Mukwamu has been a little bit up and down, but has been kind of a fine foil to J.C. Horn, who after kind of a weird start, especially with that Alabama game, has had a really, really strong second half of the season. We obviously know how good Javon Kinlaw is. Aaron Sterling, DJ Wanham, both having really nice seasons. The linebacking core has been much improved from last year. So a credit to this defense that they think, they being Vegas, think that Carolina will only allow 38 points against Clemson. The only problem with that is that they've just been scoring so much lately. And I understand that they have like a real cupcakey schedule, but they've scored at least 45 points in their last six games and at least 50 points in their last four games. And to be honest, it's not even, again, like the numbers have been, I mean, the numbers have been impressive, but the performance is like not even that impressive. They're blowing away teams that they're better than, which you give them credit for doing. But if it were just in a vacuum and it was like, okay, well, what is Clemson's offense going to do against Carolina's defense on an average drive and then expand that out to the course of an entire game? I would say, okay, you know, 38 seems reasonable. Clemson's significantly better than Carolina. Uh, They're deeper. South Carolina still has some depth issues defensively pretty much everywhere except for the defensive line. So that feels like about the right number. But the only problem, and this is where I think Vegas is really wrong, not only that Carolina's offense is going to score 13 points, but that Carolina will only give up 38. And not because I think the defense is that bad or Clemson's offense is that good, but just because the defense is going to be on the field for, you know, probably another 40 minutes. Like we've seen them be on the field. Carolina's defense has been on the field 40 minutes five times in the last two seasons, which is like an absolutely unthinkable margin. It was like the Texas A&M game, I guess actually both of the last two Texas A&M games, I have it written down somewhere. Point is, they've been on the field a lot, and I think that's going to be the difference. Again, not even so much what is the defensive performance in a vacuum, but how much are they going to have to be on the field. If Clemson runs 85 plays, I guess A&M ran 83, but if they run 83, 85 plays, it's going to be a lot more points than that, in which case, definitely give me Clemson minus 26. And honestly, 
I think the over-under is the most compelling number that Vegas offers here because I I could very easily see this game being a 48-3 to kind of game, which puts you right at a push, again, for that 51. But anyway, all that to say, that's probably the interesting number. I think 26 is, like, very, very generous. I don't really expect Carolina to cover that, although it is a rivalry and strange things happen, you know, all this sort of, you know, caveats, whatever. But more than that, as I was looking at the entirety of what the betting line says about this Carolina-Clemson game, I was like, man, 38-13 to doesn't sound like that much of a demolition, but when you're a 26-point favorite and the over-under is that low, I mean, it, it, you're basically just expecting the other team to get blasted, which 38-13 is a massive beatdown, just not as massive as I'm necessarily expecting. So what I did is I was like, what other games does this look like for South Carolina? So I went back and looked at games, not just where they were underdogs, because there aren't that many games where they've been 26-point uh, underdogs with that low of a over-under. Because, you know, if you're a 20-point underdog with over-under 70, it's like, okay, this is going to be a shootout, and you're going to win it, you know, 45-30 to 30 or whatever. And that, that's, I mean, that's like a, a Red River shootout kind of game, and that's not totally outrageous. But again, the, the combination of it being so low and the spread being that high, I wanted to look at what other games this emulated for Carolina or could emulate for Carolina or how Vegas is thinking about this game, basically. So there are four games in the last five years for South Carolina where the spread has been at least 25 points on either side and the over-under has been 56 or less. Now, some of you that listened to my local show today heard me do the first part of this. This is like sort of an expanded version, so just bear with me through the part that you've already heard. The four games, like I said, 25-point spread on either side with an over-under of 56 or less. 2019, Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern was a 36-point underdog. The over-under was 42.5, so Vegas was expecting a 39-3 to final score or somewhere in that neighborhood. Obviously, South Carolina covered that game, but that's... That's the kind of game that you typically see a line in an over-under like this. 2018, Coastal was a 31-point underdog, and the over-under was 55.5. So again, do the math. I'm not going to do this for all of them, but do the math. That's like a 43-12-ish to 12-ish final score. 2016, Western Carolina, plus 29.5 against South Carolina, over-under 41.5. And, and then 2016, this is kind of the, the one that stands out here, 2016, the Clemson game, that finished at a 26-point favorite for the Tigers, and the over-under for that game was 50. So remarkably similar, just one point off in terms of the over-under. And there were a couple other games that stood out that just sort of missed the cut that, again, sort of illustrate, I think, the discrepancy between these two teams right now. The 2018 Clemson game, which also closed at a 26-point line, but that over-under was at least 58.5, and, and that was almost what was borne out last year. Now, the, the over did hit in that game because it was whatever it was, 56 to 35. So it, it hit by a significant margin, but Vegas was at least conceding that Carolina might be able to score. And again, that was an excellent Clemson defense. Carolina had just shown, shown not only life, but occasional explosiveness. And a guy in Debo Samuel, who's now playing very well for the San Francisco 49ers and, you know, Jake Bentley, who had his moments and, you know, all those things. So that at least sort of factored in some modicum of respect, at least for South Carolina's offense. Go back to 2017, the Georgia game was a 23 and a half point spread. And that over-under was just 45. Um, so that's, is that the lowest one that I have on here? Um, uh, yeah, actually, I guess, except for the Charleston Southern and Western Carolina games, but of power five schools, um, of FBS schools, I should say, that's the lowest one. 23 and a half point favorite and uh, 45 point over under 2016 Texas A&M game. That line was 19 and a half. Obviously A&M the favorite there over under was 50 2016 Massachusetts game. Carolina was a 19 and a half point favorite over under was 46. The 2015 LSU game. Carolina was a 20 and a half point underdog in the line or the over under was right at 50 in the 2015 Clemson game was the same 20 and a half point line. But again, the over under was at least all the way up to 57. And maybe this all just sounds like a bunch of numbers, a bunch of mumbo jumbo doesn't tell you like a whole lot necessarily. But I, I feel like this is very telling in terms of the respect that Vegas, 
uh, either you know has for Carolina or is anticipating that the betting public will have for South Carolina. To give you another example of what a game with a huge spread means, but also how the over-under can help you, I don't know, I guess like look in the margins and, and kind of see how much respect the other team is being given. Two weeks ago, Ohio State was a 52-point favorite against Rutgers, and you're like, wow, that's ridiculous. And by the way, Rutgers did cover in that game. But that's like, well, that's like the most disrespectful thing I've ever heard. But at least the over-under was 63. So Vegas was expecting that Rutgers would be able to score some points. Basically, what is being conveyed by this Carolina line? Again, 26.5 points or 26 points, depending on where you look. I expect that line to keep moving. Over-under, just 51. They're saying exactly what I think Carolina fans have watched all year, which is that this could get ugly. Carolina's probably not going to score a lot of points. Um, And again, I I think that's kind of generous. Like 38 to 13 would be like right in the ballpark of, you know, about to push on the line and about to push on the over-under. But I think there's also the the scenario where maybe it makes a lot of sense to go Clemson minus 26 in the under, which seems counterintuitive. But again, I can totally see this being 45 to 3. 45 to 6, I guess, would be a push there um, too. But uh, anyway, just something that caught my eye. And normally I don't look at a line that intently. I'm just like, okay, what is it? What's the over-under? Oh, that's high. That's low. Um, but it just looked so unusual to me and in, in what it was conveying. Like I said, I, I didn't think I had seen a lot, and that has is borne out only four times in the last five years. And I guess that's sort of like an arbitrary distinction for me to say a 25-point spread with an over-under of about 56, but um, that just that seemed like that seemed like the number to me, so I, I don't know why. But anyway, okay, now it's time to throw all that out the window because this is Rivalry Week, and as I mentioned, one of the great things about college football is the passion, and the passion of college football, of the student body, of the schools, the great history that emerges you know, not even just between South Carolina and Clemson, but there are so many schools that have so many long-standing rivalries, including two that have longer-standing active rivalries than South Carolina and Clemson. But the history, the passion, there's so much of it that is that's just deep-seated, like good-natured hatred. I think, and and for some people, it's it's not good-natured; it's just straight up. But I I, I don't know this because I didn't grow up a big pro sports fan, as a lot of people around here didn't. So maybe if you're listening and you're like from Boston or something, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like it's different, the the kind of hatred and the kind of passion that college fans have with regard to their rivalries than, say, like the Red Sox and the Yankees. And I know they hate each other, and there's proximity, and there's also history in the World Series and things like that, but I don't know, it just it feels different to me. And so my encouragement to you, after saying that Carolina's going to get massacred, which they are, and telling you all the reasons that, I mean, basically Vegas thinks that Clemson playing Carolina is the equivalent of Carolina playing Charleston Southern Coastal or Western Carolina. That's really the gist of what I was trying to get at there, and I didn't articulate it well because sometimes I get lost in the details and I like to talk too much, and so that's what happens, and I forget my train of thought. But point is, no one is expecting this game to be close, which doesn't mean it's not going to be close. Carolina also just pulled off the biggest upset in its 126 or whatever year football, or 127, I guess, year history or whatever it is, the, the entire history of the football program put off the biggest upset ever against Georgia. That was on the road. I think this is a more improbable upset, although it is at least at home. Weird stuff happens in rivalry games, and I'm not even saying that you should enjoy this week because you should think Carolina's going to win, although you should allow yourself to you know, enjoy it. And if that's part of you being able to enjoy it, then I would say, you know, go for it. It's, it's not going to cost you anything. You, you know deep down that Carolina's not going to win if you have fun this week and you talk trash to your Clemson friends. Because, I mean, that's frankly, that's all you can do. And I said this again on my local show, so sorry if I'm being repetitive. But after Saturday, you really can't say anything 
to your Clemson fan friends, coworkers, family members, whatever, until this time next year. So anything negative that you have to say about Clemson fans, all your Clemson jokes, you know, your incest jokes, your, uh, you know, whatever. They don't even have to be, they don't even have to be on color or politically correct. But point is anything nasty that you have to say, uh, this is the week to do it. That's why you have this week. And if it were all about who wins the football game, then it wouldn't be that fun because frankly, this wouldn't be a rivalry because Clemson has so thoroughly dominated it, especially in the last couple of years. They've been winning freaking national championships in Carolina's. Well, I can't quite say that Carolina's an afterthought because Clemson fans still seem very, very preoccupied with the opinions of other Carolina fans. But um, again, that's sort of part of it. It's not just about the football game. It's about everything around it. So um, enjoy it. Talk trash. Tell your Clemson coworker that you that Carolina's going to win and ruin Clemson's national championship hopes, even if you don't believe it. And I guess I would also probably encourage you not to believe that. But if you are someone that does, if you convince yourself, that's fine. And after Carolina gets smoked on Saturday, you're allowed to be sad because that's also part of it. But you don't need to be fatalistic about it. That's my job as sort of like an impartial observer just trying to tell you what's going to happen in this game. But for fans, go to the game, be loud, talk trash, have fun. I don't know. I just, it's been a real bummer of a season and it's very easy to just like lose interest. And I think a lot of people have lost interest and I think there are going to be a ton of Clemson fans and Williams Price on Saturday. Um, and that's a bummer because the other part of it is, and I really don't care about them. I would love for Clemson fans to be unhappy all the time. Someone that grew up a Carolina fan, but like, it's not even going to be fun for them to gloat or go to the game because there's not even going to be any Carolina fans. They're going to be kind of bored. And if Carolina fans or Clemson fans, whomever, isn't upholding their end of the bargain, then the rivalry dissolves. Again, like the spirit of the rivalry because the football part of it isn't even really part of the conversation right now. But don't let that tradition and history die because that is one of the many things that makes college football so much fun and so different from almost everything else. I guess not just college football, but mostly college football, but college sports in general, but mostly college football makes it so different and so special for so many people. So enjoy it. You have four more days until Carolina gets their asses absolutely handed to them by Clemson. But in the meantime, enjoy it. I kind of started the season like that saying, hey, everybody's undefeated. No need to worry about what the season's going to end up looking like. You're probably very happy if you allowed yourself to enjoy that early part of the season because there wasn't a whole lot to enjoy after that. So maybe poetic, maybe fitting, or just symmetrical, whatever you want to call it. Start the season like you end it. This is fun. It's a game. We all like college football. Just find the areas in the margins where you can enjoy it in the midst of what has been an otherwise very, very unenjoyable season, certainly for the fans, definitely for me covering the team, because I'll tell you, it's a lot more fun to cover a team that's good than a team that's bad, but it wouldn't be the same without the passion. And I don't want that to die just because the football's been crappy. So enjoy it. Here's Will. All right, on the line with me now, as he is every Monday, as he has been every Monday, and yet here we are now at the end of the regular season of college football for South Carolina, and I guess the regular season for everybody, but actually the end of the football season for South Carolina, unfortunately. It's Will Helms. He's here to do a little bit of different stuff today. We're going to talk about the national landscape of college football, our personal top four teams in the country before we get into a little bit of a preview for Clemson. We don't normally get an opportunity to do that, but I figured it might be fun with Carolina having an open week last week. And uh, Will, are you happy or sad that we have arrived here at the end of the season? Um, You know, it's a little bittersweet. Um, enjoy covering the games. Always enjoy football season. Um, love bowl season. So excited for that. Um, but it really does feel like it's kind of flown by this year. Yeah, it really has. And, and 
I guess I'm maybe on the other side of the spectrum from you because this is the first time in a couple of years I can remember being kind of excited that football season's about to be over because that means I'm going to start watching a lot more NBA. I can catch up on some movies and some TV shows. I haven't had a chance to start the new season of The Crown yet, which has been very disappointing, and my mom's already watched the whole thing and is nagging me to watch it. So I, I'm a little bit excited to have my weekends back, but uh, it'll take it'll take like only about a month before I start to miss football. But with that being said, let's jump right in. The college football playoff is... I think they've done a pretty good job. I like the playoff. I don't think that I don't think that it's as big a problem as people have been saying, like in terms of the actual committee. I wish that it were six teams or eight teams, especially this year, because as we're about to discuss, I think there would be some interesting matchups were the playoff to expand. But in terms of their selection process, I think they generally get it right. But that being said, I wanted to go through your opinion, your educated opinion, both as a viewer and as someone that has a really strong understanding of the advanced analytics. And me, as someone that I guess is just a just a viewer, not not an advanced understanding of analytics. At least I don't have analytics to uh, to back up any of these things. But um, with all that being said, our top four teams in college football, not the four that we think the college football playoff committee will select to be the four at the end of the season, the four teams that we think right now are the best teams in college football. And normally it's more interesting to go four to one, but I think everyone agrees on number one right now. So we will start at one, and I will let you start with your number one, the best team in college football right now. Yeah, I mean, there's really two options, and LSU is going to be the better of those two options. Um, They're just a complete team right now, and honestly, defense matters less than it ever has in college football, and LSU's defense is not its strongest unit, um, which is crazy, and I really never thought I'd say that about LSU. Um, But that offense is just so good, and the defense does enough and has enough talent um, to beat anybody in the country. So I've got LSU number one. I guess do you want me to go two, three, four after that, or you want to go ahead and give your one? Or um, well, yeah, I'll just I'll say my uh, my LSU is my number one as well. No big surprise there, and um, that's why I figured it'd be interesting to start with one, more interesting to start with one and go to four. The one thing that I think is interesting about LSU, and I actually, I mean, you're probably going to have most of the stats here for the rest of the podcast, so I'll I'll enjoy my one moment here. So I think LSU's defense has been a little bit unfairly maligned. I've, I've seen a lot of stats about. Oh well, only you know this many teams or like no teams that have allowed this many 450-yard games ever won a national championship and things like that. And that's true. LSU's had a lot of blowouts, so there's been a lot of garbage time yards, a lot of garbage time points allowed, and things like that. But going into the Ole Miss game, so not this past weekend, but the weekend before, LSU was actually a top 20 team. I think they were maybe 17th in the country in yards allowed per play, and that was after they had played Alabama again, an Alabama game that. The final score was close, but Alabama, I mean, made it look a lot closer at the end with a long touchdown and not exactly garbage time, but certainly some some stat filling uh, numbers there for Tua and that wide receiving core for Alabama. So I, I think maybe that has been overblown a little bit. And then uh, to your point, even if it's not overblown or even if it's somewhere in the middle, the way the Burroughs been playing, the caliber of playmaker that they have on the outside and Clyde Edwards Elaire, who's been just one of my favorite running backs to watch in the entire country because that dude is built like a fire hydrant, and then we also saw him show off his wheels in that 88-yard touchdown uh, just this past weekend. Who'd they play? Oh, yeah, Arkansas. Um, I didn't know that he could move like that because he's so stocky. I figured he was just built for running through people, but he can do it all, which is pretty impressive. So I, I think they're as complete a team as there is in college football right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if we look at the college football playoff the past couple of years, there haven't been a lot of 13-7 to 7 games, um, especially in the college football playoff era. Um, you're looking at most of these games end up 40-something to, you know, 38. Um, and LSU has the firepower to score on anybody in the country. 
Yeah. Now, it may be controversial to say that LSU is, in my opinion, the most complete team in the country because you could make an argument that Ohio State is much better defensively. I think that's a really compelling argument. I think Ohio State is better defensively, but I just think LSU is so much better than Ohio State offensively that I would, like I said, obviously give the nod to LSU. But Ohio State is my number two team. Uh, Basically, the only thing that has me putting LSU over Ohio State is I think the offense is better. Um, I like Burrow more than I like Justin Fields. And just right now, the body of work says LSU's played more good teams and won more impressive games in Ohio State. Are they your number two as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, they played really well this year. Um, I still don't know if I trust Ryan Day um, over, you know, if Urban Meyer was the coach, I'd probably put L- or Ohio State a little bit closer to LSU right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's taking nothing away from um, Ryan Day or anything that that coaching staff has done. Um, but I do think there is something to be said about um, head coaching experience in positions like that. And I know that uh, Ed Ogeron is not um, the most experienced head coach in these types of situations. But, um, yeah, I, I like Ohio State a lot. Um, I never really was a fan of Penn State. Um, didn't think that Penn State was that complete a team. Um, and so to see them play Ohio State decently close over the weekend, um, I think kind of further solidified that LSU is my number one team. Um, but, of course, that could always change going forward. Right. Penn State, I, I'm kind of with you. Sean Clifford, I was never a big fan of him. He hasn't he hasn't turned the ball over a whole lot this year. I think he only has six interceptions on the season. But whenever I watch Penn State, I just find myself wanting a lot more productivity and I guess just a lot more consistency from him. I'm not saying he's the only thing holding Penn State back, but that's just one thing that sticks out when you're talking about a, a game that is so driven by quarterback production and quarterback consistency um, and, and things like that. And I mean, for Ohio State, they didn't cover that 17-point spread against Penn State. It, they really could have. That was a game that was that was teetering there for a while, and it felt like Ohio State could have run away with it. What was it like 21 nothing, and then Penn State scored a couple times, or am I thinking of a different game? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, didn't get to watch it, but that's kind of yeah, what so following at this point, and it's also hard, and it's kind of funny. This is a fun exercise for me because it's most Tuesday, or I guess most Wednesdays after the playoff rankings come out. I'm like, okay, well, you know, the committee didn't think about this, the committee didn't think about this, so I'll kind of go back and relitigate what they've done. But I rarely will make my own list before they release it, and kind of have to go through the same process. So I find myself, you know, doing exactly what they're doing, which is how how do you weigh this performance versus this performance, and home versus road, and you know, what do these wins mean versus these losses in the case of teams that have a loss. Um, and things like that. But it's we both agree, LSU, Ohio State, not a lot of controversy there. Here's where I think it gets interesting. Who is your number three team, Will? Um, so I've got Clemson number three. Um, I think the, the committee so far has done well with that. Um, not that we should look at past years, but Clemson plays who's in front of them. Yes, their schedule is about as weak as any uh, normal um, American Athletic Conference team, in my opinion. Um, and that's just not opinion. There are stats to back that up. Um, but Clemson has run through everybody on their schedule, had a scare against North Carolina. Everybody has a scare at some point um, in the season. Um, they ended up winning that game um, and have really just been blowing teams out the past few weeks. Six straight games that they scored at least 45 points, four straight games that they scored at least 52 points. It's hard to argue with the numbers, but I just... I don't know what to expect from this team come playoff time. I I do expect that they will be good. I do expect that any one of these teams that we're talking about, LSU, Ohio State, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Utah, Alabama, Baylor, whoever you want to throw in there, I expect Clemson would be competitive with them. But it's just, it's so hard for me to give them a nod over teams that we have seen face adverse situations and play good teams and come out on top. 
for me to give Clemson the nod. If we were just saying talent versus talent, I think Clemson's three, maybe two. They're certainly not, you know, four or below, which is where I'm going to end up putting them. But it's just because I don't really know what's going to happen when they play a good team or when they when they play a game close. You look back at that North Carolina game that was in Chapel Hill. They obviously were able to hang on and win that game, 21 to 20. But it felt like more of a game that it's not that Clemson won it. It's that North Carolina. I don't want to say North Carolina lost it because actually it was an incredible effort by them to to get Clemson on the ropes right there. But what I mean is that game was more about North Carolina not making the play at the very end of the game, not getting that two point conversion, than Clemson. You know they get down and you know they have to come back and they have to score or they have to get a stop because North Carolina punched it in right there. They were just a two point conversion away. Um, and if that's what you know, if that's what Clemson looks like, that maybe it was, you can say it was a different Trevor Lawrence at that point in the season than now because he's been playing a lot better lately, a lot more efficiently, not throwing as many interceptions as he did early in the season. But if that's really the only look that we have at what Clemson looks like when they're playing in a tight game, I have to give the nod to in this case Georgia. And I I hate doing that because. My criticism of the committee has always been that, or if anything, my criticism of the committee has been that they do not penalize losses heavily enough. And we're sitting here, Georgia, with by far the worst loss of anybody in the top 10, maybe the top 15, maybe the top 20. I don't know who's 15 through 20 right now, but it's a terrible loss. But you look at their quality wins, you look at what they've been able to do in some of those other close games, Carolina notwithstanding, and I'm just left to believe that that Carolina game was fluky more than anything else. And as a team, I feel like Georgia is more complete. I really like what they've been able to do defensively. And even though Fromm hasn't looked like himself, I feel like I trust the defense enough that Georgia would, in this case, if I'm thinking about it in sort of like a head-to-head kind of way, that Georgia would, in this case, beat Clemson head-to-head. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Um, I do think that you have to give, um, you know, yes, the schedule has been harder for Georgia. They do have more quality wins. I do think that something is to be said about you play the teams on your schedule, and if you go undefeated, I really think that you should be in the um, in the college football playoff um, unless there are five undefeated teams. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of criticisms of the playoff and the four-team system, but as it is right now, um, I do think that undefeated teams should be able to get in. And I said that about UCF a couple of years ago when they went undefeated a couple of times. Um, I would have said the same thing about App State had they gone undefeated this season. Um, I do think there's something to be said about you beat the teams on your schedule. You should be rewarded by getting into the playoffs. Yeah, and I feel like I'm sounding like a hypocrite here because I was also really banging the drum for Central Florida, and I will always remember 2017 as the year that the Central Florida Knights won the national championship, not the University of Alabama. I'm going to die on that hill because I really stand by it. And I, I guess if I make that argument for them, then I should be making that same argument for Clemson. But I guess this really just boils down to I don't like Clemson and I think it's ridiculous that they've you know been able to, to play this kind of schedule. And I know it's not really their fault. I mean, they have to play Carolina every year. It's not their fault that they're bad. Uh, Texas a and I guess it's like, you know, pretty good. And then you schedule Charlotte and their other out-of-conference game against Wofford. That's kind of a rule that they have to play them. So, it, it's again, it's not entirely their fault. They tried to schedule Texas A&M. They won that game pretty handily. So maybe I should give them more credit. But for me right now, this is less about taking credit away from Clemson and more about giving credit to Georgia um, and I am very curious how you feel about the Bulldogs, so I'll just go ahead and ask you who your number four team is. Not Georgia. Right. Um, I have a very weird number four team, and this is me. I stay up late. I love Pac-12 after yes. dark. Yes. Utah. Yes, is, all right. If not the fourth best team in the country, maybe the third or second best team in the country. Um, we looked a couple years ago. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was that didn't get penalized for losing a game in which their best player got hurt. 
um, and I'm trying to think of who it is off the top of my head, and I can't. It may have been um, Clemson a couple years ago, or somebody was not penalized for losing a game with their best player hurt. Um, Utah right now is 10 and one with a loss to USC when USC still had a first string quarterback um, in a game in which its best player got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, the advanced stats love Utah. So they are first in, when I say every defensive statistical category, I mean every defensive statistical category, they are first, second, or third in the country. Um, they're averaging, they're allowing 12 points a game, 250 yards a game, um, Points per play, yards per play are ridiculously low, and factoring out garbage time, they're number one in the country and everything. Um, the rush defense in everything is number one. Their pass defense is very good. Um, so teams are actually throwing it against Utah at a higher rate than any other FBS team in the country, and yet their um, yards per game are top 20. And so they're having the ball thrown against them a lot, and they're not surrendering a lot of completions. They're not surrendering a lot of yards. They're not giving up points. Um, they've given up, if I've got their schedule in front of me right now, yes, they've given up 20 points in a game twice this season. Um, one of them at Washington, uh, one of them in their loss to uh, USC at USC. Um, and that was a game that I think I mentioned earlier. Zach Moss was hurt um, after the, really the first quarter. Um, they scored 23 points in that game without Zach Moss, who is the best running back in the country, in my opinion. Um, and he has just been on an absolute tear the past five games. Um, since that loss, he's averaging 186 yards a game uh, from scrimmage. He scored in uh, six games, 13 touchdowns. Um, he's actually he's never really a receiver and has had at least three receptions. Um, in each of his last five games, um, all for at least 30 yards, um, two games or three games of at least 70 yards receiving. Um, and has just been absolutely tearing up some pretty okay defenses. Um, and then Utah's defense is just absolutely destroying everybody. Um, I mean, you've given up points per game last month and a half, seven, three, like I said, 28 to Washington at Washington, zero, three, seven had the game at USC, 0-17-12 um, points per game. Um, and they're coupling that with a passing attack, which is number one in the country in yards per attempt. Um, so they're really doing everything they can do. I've always said that the committee um, or that the Pac-12 is an unfair advantage. No, they haven't been a good conference the past few years. Um, but people just don't get to see the Pac-12 on the national stage. And so there's just kind of those teams that are there um, that people don't really get to see. And Utah's that team this year. So I'm looking right now. Yeah, so they were number seven in the college football playoff last week. Obviously, Oregon right in front of them. They lost. Or Oregon, they're going to have to play in the Pac-12 championship, assuming they lock up the South, which technically they could still lose because, as you mentioned, I think Southern Cal has that. I think they can still lose that, right? Because Southern Cal has the tiebreaker with them. So if... Or maybe Utah would have had to lose that. I can look it up. I can't. Yeah. I can't remember. Or maybe they have it locked up. Point is, they're going. They're they're going to win the Pac-12 South. They're going to play Oregon. Um. So I guess you know that sort of is still lingering there. And I still think Oregon's good, even though they lost to Arizona State. I I, I still think that's a, a good Oregon team. Good roster, top to bottom. They also have Alabama in front of them in terms of who they would have to leap, leapfrog to get into the college football playoff ranking. There's no scenario that makes sense to me that Alabama gets into the playoff with Tua being injured. I don't care what 
happens in the Iron Bowl. I don't care if they win by 50. They're not going to put Alabama in there without Tua. I just I, I don't see that happening. Um, do you think it's realistic that Utah could leapfrog a one-loss Georgia team to get into the college football playoff if, let's say, if or rather, I guess a two-loss team, you think Utah would get in over Alabama and Georgia if they win the Pac-12? Yeah, I think if they win the Pac-12, they end up with as many quality wins as uh, Alabama. Um, Alabama's schedule this year has not been as difficult as um, it a typical Alabama schedule. Uh, they lost their only game to a top-10 team, I believe. They'll play Auburn. Um, but let's say Auburn wins that game, then Alabama ends up with two losses. If Alabama somehow pulls out a win there, um, they would still you know, have a, a win over Auburn and Utah would have to beat Oregon, obviously. But if that were to happen, I could absolutely see Utah jumping in um, over Alabama. I'm really glad you made the case for Utah because I've enjoyed watching them this year as well. I, I watched that Southern Cal game. Was that on a Friday maybe? Um, I yes, feel like it was actually okay. I, I remember that being at a weird time because I remember like it was early enough in the season that I wasn't super interested, although it was, I was kind of intrigued by Southern Cal and I had heard that Utah's defensive line was awesome. I, I remember that just being a really weird game because let's see, uh, Caden Slovis or Slavis, however you say it, got hurt on like the second play of the game, and that was when Matt Fink came in and threw for like 300 yards for Southern Cal. And I was like, what's going on? And obviously, it was in LA, and I think there were over 200 combined penalty yards in that game, so it was just an, a super bizarre game. And everyone was kind of off Utah after that. And then, like you said, they've been really steady. I mean, more than steady ever since. You mentioned their running back, Zach Moss, who's hasn't played as many games as Chuba Hubbard. So his yards are, and he doesn't have as many carries either. So his yards aren't uh, that similar. He's got like 1,100 compared to Chuba's 1,800. Obviously, Chuba is pacing the nation in terms of rushing yards, but they're both averaging six and a half yards a carry. Um, so just in terms of productivity on a carry-by-carry carry basis, he is right up there with the other guy that a lot of people consider to be the best running back in the country. So um, I'm really happy that you made the case for Utah. I didn't have the stones to do it because I had to put Clemson in at number four for all the reasons that you made a compelling case for them at number three. Um, and I'm glad you made an interesting list because mine was not at all interesting other than just sort of like flipping Georgia and Clemson there. But I think it's interesting that we both left out Oklahoma. We both left out Baylor, who I, I think maybe they should be left out because they're 14, but they still have a path to winning the Big 12, a Power 5 conference that has gotten playoff teams in before, and they would have to beat Oklahoma in the process, and then their one loss would be to that Oklahoma team in a game that was uh, just another incredibly bizarre game, different than the Utah-Southern Cal game in terms of the the weirdness factor, but it, it's it's interesting to me that they're all the way down at 14, but we left out Oklahoma, we left out Baylor, we left out Minnesota, um, and obviously Alabama. Which of those teams that you didn't put in your top four do you think is most likely to crack the top four, or you would be you would be most willing to stick in that group? I think I could see a way for Alabama to make it into the playoffs. Um, I don't know. It, the committee's really in a hard uh, in between a rock and a hard place there because are you going to penalize Alabama because they lost their quarterback but looked good with their backup quarterback just because he's obviously not Tua? Um, or Alabama goes in, let's say um, Auburn ends up, you know, somehow just blowing out, um, blowing out Alabama. They have a chance to get in. I, I think the SEC every year with the strength and the reputation that it has always has the opportunity to get two teams in, even two teams that might not make the um, SEC championship as we've seen in the past. Um, I'm still not, I'm a big P.J. Flex fan. I'm a huge P.J. Flex fan. I just don't see any way for Minnesota to get in. Um, they just 
the schedule there is, is not good enough. And then you're looking at a loss to Penn State, um, a team that, or I guess they what beat they beat Penn State or they lose lose to Penn State. That was they beat Penn State at home. That was Penn game State. day, and they lost, and to, lost Iowa to Iowa the following week. Yes. Yep. Lost to Iowa, uh, game-winning kick by Keith Duncan. Have to give a shout out to him. Uh, went to my high school. Oh, cool. Um, but um, yeah, they lose lose to Iowa. Um, so I just don't see a way with that schedule for them to somehow jump a lot of the teams that are ahead of them. Um, I do think that the committee releasing people have talked about you know should they release playoff teams early? Um, should we be doing this whole playoff show reveal? Um, I do think it lets us into the minds of the committee to kind of see, okay, who is there? Um, you know, what is the, the committee thinking with all of this stuff? But I, I think, honestly, this year is just another example of why an 18 playoff would be the way to go. Yeah, or, or definitely at least six. It, it was funny. I was talking last week about how much I would love to see an Oregon and Georgia matchup in one of those first rounds, and obviously that's that wouldn't happen anyway because Oregon went ahead and lost their second game, and even if they win the Pac-12, I feel like that would be enough to – keep them out of the playoff, even if it were expanded to six teams. But even still, there are a lot of other permutations of this that I would like to see. And I, I, we're getting kind of like, uh, not where I didn't want to go, but the exercise was who are your four best teams? So those are your four, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Utah. My top four were LSU, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. And if we can now pivot to what we think will actually happen, because I think there are some really interesting scenarios here that for people like you and me, and a lot of other people around the country I know, that want to see the playoff expanded, I feel like this is the year that those people are going to be able to make the most compelling case for that happening. And there are a couple of just like total anarchy scenarios that I'm really pulling for where, say, I guess probably we want Utah to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship so that they have a really compelling case. Um, I think it's probably more interesting if Minnesota beats Ohio State, and then it's unrealistic that Clemson's going to lose, and I think LSU will beat uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game. But then you're looking at a scenario where you have an 11 and 1 or i guess a 12 and 1 Ohio State team you would have a 13 and 0 LSU team you'd have a Minnesota team that would have the same record as Ohio State and have the head to head but wouldn't have the other quality wins necessarily that Ohio State did um you'd have that Utah team that you were talking about you'd have Clemson and then a two loss Georgia team and their two losses i guess probably the Carolina loss would would keep them out at that point but i think there are a lot of a lot of really interesting scenarios that could make a compelling case for why the committee should expand the playoff after this year yeah, and I think one of the things that the uh, current playoff system is doing is actually um, rewarding teams that don't end up playing in the um, in their championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you think about it, I think it happened to, well, I guess Alabama lost the Iron Bowl a couple of years ago and, and made it in. But let's say we have a scenario where a good team loses very early in the season, um, loses the conference game very early in the season that keeps them out of the – the conference championship they have one loss they run through the rest of their schedule and they don't have to play another quality team um they just get to kind of sit home on championship weekend and watch other quality teams fall because you have teams in um in their conference championship um so i can see that something like that happening to alabama i mean if alabama right now is currently sitting at fifth so let's say number six loss number eight loss this week um, you have Oklahoma number nine, Minnesota number ten. So let's just say hypothetically Alabama goes in and beats a Auburn team that again I'm not a fan of Bo Nix and I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. And I think that even Alabama's defense, which has been maybe its worst in years, um, will probably keep him at bay. Um, so if Mac Jones can go in and 
Alabama scores, let's say, 28 points, I can easily see them winning a, a 28-17, 28-14 game over Auburn. Um, and so that leaves, you know, Alabama at 10-1 and to end the season, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Well, if LSU goes and blows out Georgia, Georgia doesn't have any sort of claim to the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And so the next team there is, you know, obviously Alabama. Um, Utah could very easily jump them. Utah will be sixth this week, um, maybe even fifth this week. Not quite sure where, you know, where we'll see them, but they're just right there lurking. Um, if they were to win the Pac-12, then they obviously have an opportunity. Um, I just don't see Clemson losing. I just don't see Ohio State losing as much as I do like P.J. Fleck and um, Minnesota. I just don't see anything happening there. And I do think the LSU is the best team in the country. Um, they could slip up and lose to Georgia, and I think that makes it easy for the playoffs because, or for the committee because I think that LSU stays in the top four if they lose to Georgia. Um, but let's say that LSU does blow out Georgia. Alabama's in. Hmm. I just, I, I, I just, Auburn. I can't get there. I feel like the committee is going to have to factor in the fact, even if they beat Auburn, even if they win convincingly, like, even if they win by fourteen or seventeen, and I have no idea what the line is. I just, I just feel like they, they would be more willing to put in um, a, a Utah team that you mentioned is just so dominant defensively, and even though a lot of people don't watch them because they're on the West Coast, they have a good resume. They're fully healthy, and it's just a team that statistically, I think, will end up looking better than Alabama at the end of the season. And the other part of this that I didn't even mention in that in that first hypothetical and. Like maybe this doesn't matter at all because they're so far down in the playoff ranking right now. But again, going into last week, Oklahoma was number nine and Baylor was number fourteen. Uh, in some ways, I feel like you have a better case if Oklahoma wins the Big Twelve for them to get in because they're higher ranked. But on the other hand, their loss to Kansas State is significantly worse than Baylor's one loss, which is to a very very good Oklahoma team. And whichever team wins the Big Twelve is going to obviously have the advantage in that rematch. It seems really weird that one of those teams is going to be left out, especially if it's Baylor because they have such a good loss. I mean, other than Alabama's lost to LSU, and I mean, other than Alabama's lost to LSU, that's pretty much the that would be the the best loss of all of the remaining one loss teams. Absolutely, I think I like your point earlier about how you don't think the committee factors in losses as much as they should, and I, I would agree. Um, I mean, even looking at it right now, it's we're talking hypotheticals about okay, what happens at the end of the season? Um, but you know, you've got Oklahoma five spots ahead of Baylor. Um, with Oklahoma's loss to Kansas State being the worst of the one-loss teams that I can think of. Um, other than the South Carolina loss Georgia, for Georgia. Yeah, yeah. other than Georgia's to South Carolina. Um, and so you've got other teams, um, you know, in that range that probably have a better resume than, say, in Oklahoma, but Oklahoma's been there before. Oklahoma has Jalen Hurts. He's been there before. Um and so you, you start to see some of the biases that come from a committee. And this is not me jogging the committee. I actually think they've done a pretty decent job. Uh, but you can kind of see how, you know, if let's say Justin Herbert got hurt for Oregon last week and it wasn't Tua, Oregon wouldn't be sixth. Oregon would be 10th or 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it's Alabama, Alabama doesn't get hurt for losing Tua. Yeah, at least not at this point. Maybe it will be kind of the difference in terms of them losing a tiebreaker to someone like Utah or maybe an Oklahoma team that also has one loss, even if that's a worse loss than Alabama's one loss. But uh, we will certainly see. Uh, any more thoughts on any of the other teams that are sort of on the fringe of the playoff as we head into the last week of the season? I think this is a really interesting year in the sense that I don't think a ton of teams have a legit claim at this point to being in the top four. It's kind of cut and dry to me that the top four is the top four. Um, 
again, I think that Utah is, you know, slightly better than Georgia. I think their loss isn't as bad. Um, but at the same time, there's really no way that you can argue that Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU, based on resume at least, are not in the top four as of right now. That can obviously change as it goes forward. Um, but it, it seems almost like in the past we've had – we've started shrinking. We go from 12 teams with a legit shot the first couple weeks, and then we go to eight teams, then six teams, and then really that last week it's, okay, there's just one spot up for grabs. And this year it kind of seems to be opposite. of You've got four teams that have a legit claim to be in the top four. And if any of those dominoes start to fall, then you have these other teams that are going to have legitimate um, – I guess legitimate um, ways to say, yeah, we're in. We, you know, we are have a better resume than this team or this team, whether that's a, a Utah or up until last week, I guess uh, Oregon or Penn State, um, and then now still Oklahoma, Baylor. Um, even if I mean, if you want to put a two-loss team in there, Florida's two losses aren't bad. Um, you know, we start getting in that territory based on where the dominoes fall. Um, with the other ones. But, you know, three undefeated teams, I do think they need to be up at the top right now. That's why I'm pulling for as much chaos as humanly possible in, I guess, this last week and then the conference championship week. I would love to see Minnesota win out. I would love to see Oklahoma win out. I would love to see Utah win out because I think then you have some really, really compelling arguments for a lot of those teams that right now are not in the top four. And if everything goes chalk, we'll not have a legitimate shot. But um, that's why college football is great, because anything can happen. Before I let you go, we're going to zoom in a little bit and turn our attention a little more local. South Carolina is playing Clemson. The game opened up as only a 26-point favorite for Clemson, which really surprised me. Certainly a rivalry line. I guess maybe giving some credit to Williams-Price Stadium, which I'm a little bit afraid is going to look a little bit more uh, like, like Memorial Stadium by the end of the game on Saturday. Uh, but in... Looking at what Clemson's done well this year, which is just about everything, and looking at what Carolina has done well this year, which is some things and fewer things of late, do you see any statistical advanced metric-driven road to either upsetting Clemson or at least covering and making the game uncomfortable and competitive? Well, one thing I will say is, you know, we can talk about Will Muschamp as, you know, struggling in big games or, or however it is, especially when there's a talent gap. Um, but if there's anything that he's done well in big games, he has done really well scheming against the other team's um, strengths. So you think, I think back to the Clemson game last year, and we heard all, you know, all year about how um, Clemson's defensive line may be, might be the best in the history of college football and all this stuff. And then you have South Carolina's offensive line that, you know, yes, it's pretty, pretty decent, I would say. Um, especially last year, I thought they were a pretty decent offensive line. Um, but at least by PFF grade, they held Clemson's defensive line to their in, in the past five years last year. Um, coming off of, I believe that was coming off of a bye, either a bye or a small, um, you know, small school SCS game. I can't remember. May have been off of a Chattanooga or something like that. Um, but South Carolina did a very good job at neutralizing Clemson's defensive line. I don't think they had a sack. Um, I think uh, Cleveland Farrell had his worst PFF grade ever. Um, and South Carolina's offensive line, after we heard all the time about how Clemson was just going to come in and dominate, um, really took it to them and, you know, played well. Then we think back to Georgia this year and how Georgia's rushing offense is one of the best in the country. And there's uh, just not much South Carolina's defense can do. And yet, 
at that time, what happens is South Carolina goes in there and neutralizes Clemson's uh, uh, just rushing attack, um, which to me was kind of surprising. But again, coming off of a bye into a big game, they were able to neutralize the one thing that South Carolina or that Georgia did well. So, in terms of game plan, I think if you know if we want to give Carolina credit, obviously, in terms of how the offense attacked the defense, you know, you you really don't give the defensive line that much of an opportunity to, to get in the game. Carolina didn't even really try to establish the run or try to run the football, so you're not allowing them to shut down your run because you're not even going to go there. Now, you do give the offensive line credit for protecting Jake Bentley as well as they did, and you know, also Carolina being willing to take shots. You know, I definitely give Brian McClendon and Will Muschamp credit for that game plan. I think part of it is also. Well, you know, we're a 26-point underdog in this game, so what else are we going to do other than sort of air it out every time? But the difference is you had a guy in Jake Bentley who, even though he was very inconsistent all season long and even inconsistent hitting the deep ball, did show from time to time some really nice touch, and he had some really nice moments, whether it was the Ole Miss game, whether it was the Clemson game. He had some other good moments throughout his career. His biggest problem was just always doing it consistently, but he happened to have one of those on games, and you had a guy in Debo Samuel who was not only an explosive playmaker for South Carolina uh, last year, but is proving himself to be an explosive playmaker in the NFL for the 49ers right now as they make a case for being the best team in the NFL right now after they absolutely drubbed the Packers last night, and Debo Samuel had a really good game uh, last Sunday night. Over 100 yards again, caught a touchdown pass, you know, burned somebody for Green Bay. I don't remember who. Actually, it was kind of like the entire secondary he, he outran. So you have you, ha- you had a, a guy who, when he was playing well, you know, was a good Power 5 quarterback and a wide receiver who's one of the most explosive athletes Carolina's had in a very long time. They don't really have the horses to attack Clemson that same way. And I should also mention that part of that game plan and part of the ability to execute that really did a great job of taking advantage of Clemson and Brent Venables' extremely aggressive schemes. I think Brent Venables, uh, this is an unofficial stat, but I think he blitzed on 100% of defensive snaps during the Carolina-Clemson game last year. It certainly seemed like that. And so Carolina found themselves facing a lot of man-free or a lot of zero coverage, and that's how they were able to take the top off the defense so many times. They don't really have the horses to do that again this year, and I also think that Clemson's going to be they're going to watch the tape from last year. And they're going to say, well, you know, let's let not let's not let Carolina do that to us again. So what do you think the angle is for Carolina this year? Yeah, I think with last year, um, one thing we also have to remember is we remember last year being worse than it actually was um, because of Jake Bentley's performances against Akron and Virginia. But heading into that Clemson game, he was in the best four-game four stretch, and statistically speaking here, a South Carolina quarterback had ever had. Um, he was – number one in deep accuracy in the country. Um, he was number one in yards per attempt in the country um, in the five weeks prior to the Clemson game. Um, you know, broke all sorts of passing records that game. And you have Debo Samuel, who covered up a lot of um, deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. And this year's just not trending that way. It's not that this is a great offense that is very streaky. It's just not a good offense right now. Um, yes, maybe that could change, but, the you know, it looks like they'll be missing Brian Edwards. Um, so you're not going to have that. Uh, I can't imagine Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle are 100% right now. Um, so you're really looking at, um, you know, South Carolina's not going to win this game 50-something to 40-something. Uh, if they're to win this game, they're going to have to get a couple timely turnovers. They're going to have to get some stops on defense, um, which I do, they, I do think they can do. That being said, the offense is going to have to find some way to score, and I'm not sure I see any sort of um, path to that. So I talked about this a little bit in my opening monologue, but the line being at 26 and the over-under being at 51 says Vegas thinks this will be about a 38-13 to 13 
kind of game and and in a vacuum that feels generous to the offense but about right for the defense the one thing that I worry about in terms of getting those stops is I'm worried that like the Texas A&M game a couple of weeks ago Carolina will be so inept at keeping drives alive at holding on to the football the defense is just going to find itself on the field for 70 80 90 snaps and eventually wear down and give up a lot of points but I do agree with you that there is there is a a path I mean Carolina has done an excellent job against the run against most teams this year they've given up a couple of unfortunate big plays but like you know, the, the holding slash false start missed against Florida was a 75-yard run that really skews those numbers. The long 75-yard touchdown run against Texas A&M that was at the end of the game and didn't really matter. And, you know, again, Carolina had been on the field for 60 snaps in the first three quarters. So that's, I mean, you put that on the defense, but you can't totally put that on the defense. I think by and large, they've been good. I, I think that in theory, if they can only be on the field for 65 or 70 snaps, they probably could limit Clemson's offense to 31, 35, 38, maybe 41, something like that. I just I don't trust the offense to keep the ball um, enough to do that. But the flip side of that is, what do you want to do in a game like this? You want to shorten the game. You want to keep the ball for a long time. If Clemson's going to score, you want it to be a 14-play, 80-yard drive that takes up eight minutes. I mean, that's not great for your defense because it gets tired. But point is, you just want there to be as few possessions as possible. And especially given that, like you said, Carolina isn't explosive. They don't really have those deep threats. They're not going to be able to hang you know, 30 or 40 or maybe even 10 on Clemson. So you just have to keep the game close as long as possible, which three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I would have said, cool, Carolina has a chance to do that. They can run the ball. They're one of the best rushing teams in the SEC. That has completely disappeared. Tavian Feaster is questionable. Rico Dowdle doesn't seem to be healthy. So I don't even know if I see a path to Carolina doing that. But do you still think that will be Carolina's game plan to try to run the ball, to try to have long possessions, just to keep it, to stay in the game long and to basically knock the possessions, the total possessions for both teams down? I think that that's a possibility. Honestly, and this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, I think Clemson has the best chance of stopping Clemson in this game. Yeah, um, They feel disrespected, um, as they always do, um, by the committee, by um, the general public, um, and I think you will see them try to run up the score. Um, and so South Carolina can get a couple early stops, maybe stop the running game, force Clemson to get frustrated um, and pass the ball more. I actually trust this defensive front against Clemson's offensive line, which at times this year has not looked good. Um, still a good unit overall. Um, I think it's fair to say every offensive line in the country at times has not looked great. Um, but I do think that South Carolina's defensive line will be capable of getting pressure on Trevor Lawrence. Um, he doesn't face pressure a lot. Um, he never has. Um, but his pressure numbers aren't great. Um, and if South Carolina can force Clemson to throw the ball a little bit more, put some pressure in Trevor Lawrence's face, uh, you know, you maybe get an interception or a fumble or some sort of big play on defense. Um, and then you just have to, I don't want to say get lucky on offense, but I think I said this last week or tweeted it or something. South Carolina, when you don't have a super talented offense, you're not going to be able to have long, sustained drives against teams. Um, anybody can get lucky and hit a big play here and there. And that's what South Carolina did last year. Um, they didn't have a lot of sustained drives against Clemson other than the first drive of the game. Most of their scores were they would come out, run play action, hit a 75-yard touchdown to Debo Samuel to Keel Pollard or something like that. Um, and I think that the chances of them hitting a play like that are higher than the chances of going on a 12-play, 75-yard, six-minute drive. Hmm. That's probably the right way to think about it. And also just in keeping with the philosophy of you are an underdog, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, go for two, surprise on sides, 
trick plays, shots down the field. Because, you know, frankly, Ryan Holinsky has been criticized a lot for his inability to hit the deep ball, and he hasn't hit it well. I don't know exactly what his numbers are. I don't know if you have them in front of you or, or know them off the top of your head. But I am a little hesitant to criticize his ability to throw it on the field because, yes, he's had some big misses, but the best down-the-field passers in the country are hitting, what, like 40 or 50% of them? Ryan hasn't been asked to throw a lot of them. Yeah, accuracy percentage on average on a deep ball is about 40% yeah. on average. The best country, Some of the best in the country are at about 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, for reference, just because I mentioned earlier, Jake Bentley over that five-game stretch was at 75% wow. on deep pass last year, um, which just shows you how well he was playing and how unsustainable it was, really. Mm. Um, but Ryan Olenski is at about 28%, 29%. Um, accuracy percentage and then completion percentage is even lower. He had a perfect pass um, into the end zone last week that would have been South Carolina's um, a big touchdown for the Gamecocks. Um, dropped, I think it was Travis Dawkins, just flat out dropped it in the end zone. Um, after he, after um, Ryan Holinsky hit Shai Smith, a perfect deep ball as well. Mm-hmm. So the ability there, it's just, it's also a little bit like a shooter in basketball. You're not shooting a lot of threes. You're not going to be comfortable making a lot of threes. Right, and, and that's sort of um, what I'm getting at. I, I think in the Texas A&M game, it was uh, Xavier Leggett that uh, dropped it. It was on a little out and up, like right in the right. corner of the end zone. But it was a perfect throw. I, I'm just not ready to write off that part of his game yet just because, like you're saying, he hasn't been asked to do it enough for me to really have a, a strong or educated opinion on it. So this is a great opportunity to see that. I know some other people, myself included, have talked about this being an opportunity to see a little bit more to carry on Joyner. One, to throw a wrinkle at Clemson, too, because if he's actually healthy, that could you know, ha- help add an element to your offense. And then I think as a tertiary benefit, you get an opportunity to kind of further assess your quarterback room going into next year. You know, how what what kind of strides has Joyner made? What does he represent in terms of another option going into next season when Jake Bentley will probably not be back? Ryan Holinsky will have another year, and then you're bringing in a guy in Luke Doty, so you might as well just take advantage of this opportunity to assess another one of your quarterbacks that could be your guy next year. Um, but I, I like that. I like that approach, and I think Carolina fans are probably would be encouraged if they saw what it sounds like you think Carolina fans might see. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier and just touch on Carolina's defensive line because as I look for just kind of things to watch in this game, because my my takeaway for the rest of the week, you know, on my local show isn't going to be how's Carolina going to win this game. It's going to be okay. What can you take away from this game? What can Carolina learn about itself? What can they do to improve going forward? I think one of the top things I'm going to be watching is. This is another opportunity, nationally televised game, big opponent, and we've seen him have big games against big opponents this year. How much money is Javon Kinlaw, how much more money is Javon Kinlaw going to make himself on Saturday? Yeah, and absolutely. I think also one of the things I'm really interested to see is, I may have mentioned this um, last week, um, with Clemson's different wide receiving core from Alabama. Alabama has a lot of the shorter guys, Everybody on Alabama's wide receiver core uh, runs a 4-4. Um, a lot of guys that are going to play in the NFL. And Clemson has a lot of guys that are going to play in the NFL, too, but for different reasons. I mean, I think their starting uh, receivers go like 6-4, 6-5, 6-6. And if there's one thing that South Carolina has in the secondary, it's links. Um, and so I honestly think that um, this South Carolina secondary actually matches up well with Clemson. I don't think that the talent level is quite equal. But I do think that the um, the matchup is there for South Carolina's defense all over to give Clemson a look that they may maybe haven't seen in the past couple weeks um, and play them well. I mean, Clemson, the last time they played an SEC 
uh, defense did not really play that well. No, Trevor Lawrence was not having his best stretch. Um, you know, uh, Texas A&M slowed that game down, um, ran the ball a lot. Uh, but Clemson is not is blowing out right now a lot of ACC lower mid-tier teams. And, you know, we could talk about how South Carolina is not beating lower to mid-tier um, ACC teams right now. But I do think that the type of game is something that Clemson hasn't really seen very often. Um, and I think that defensively South Carolina can match up well. That being said, Clemson just has way too much talent across the board. And unless South Carolina lucks into two or three touchdowns, I just have no, you know, I don't see any way that they pull off the upset. No, no. I mean, they'll need a special team score, maybe a defensive score. If nothing else, they'll need at least a couple of short fields, again, courtesy of defense or special teams. And then probably some other things. So again, that's why I'm sort of looking for the margins. And I'm glad you mentioned Trevor Lawrence because he's someone that I, I was really excited to watch him this year. I, I bought all the hype like a lot of people did last year. And he's been, you know, whether it's a sophomore slump, whether it's, you know, kind of a question of motivation, it being hard to get up for a lot of these uninspiring opponents. I, I don't know. But like you said about Texas A&M, wasn't his best game. How much of that is because he was in sort of that early season kind of fog that he was in for a while and now he's playing better? Is that because he's playing worse opponents or because he's just kind of like grown in confidence and, you know, kind of grown into the season and gotten himself back in shape or whatever it was that was missing in the early part of the season. This is another test because even though Carolina is four and seven and they're a bad football team, just as a whole, there are standout guys, you know, JC Horn, as you mentioned last week or two weeks ago, has had a really good second half of the season. We've obviously seen Mukwamu flash. Javon Kinlaw is going to be a first or second round guy in May. So there is talent here. There are enough pieces that I think there are there are stretches of this game that could be interesting. And and just from the Clemson side of it, and just as a casual fan, I'm excited to see what Trevor Lawrence looks like against a pretty good defense because he hasn't played a lot of those this year. So that's, I guess, probably the other big thing that I'll be watching for. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last thing we need to look for is South Carolina's not going to a bowl game. Um, is their last chance to kind of show what next year's team might look like? And it will look different no matter what. But you have to go into the season or into the off season at least knowing what Ryan Holinsky can do when you ask him to throw the ball further than five yards down the field consistently because he hasn't done that this mm-hmm. year. Whether that I still don't know if that's a coaching thing, if that's a Ryan Holinsky thing, if he's just not making the reads, um, if he's just not throwing it deep enough, or or whatever it is. I think you have to just let it go and say, hey, you know, throw it out there, and if you throw five picks, that's fine. You throw five picks, we weren't going to win this game anyway. Um, and, and I hate as a team to look at it like that, but I do think that a part of it has to look at, okay, what is this going to look like next year? Are we just going to go very conservative, you know, moving, you know, throwing it short, running the ball? Um, they're creative in the running game, um, but I don't think you win this game by running the ball down Clemson's throats. It's just not going to happen. Playing with house money, baby. That's what Saturday is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see mostly the defense and how this defense um, matches up with a very unique Clemson offense, uh, but I don't know if there's anybody on the South Carolina side or as a casual fan looking forward to seeing what happens between South Carolina's offense and Clemson's defense. Yeah, or, or, or the final score for that matter. So hopefully people listen to this and find a couple other reasons to get excited about the game other than just what the final result is going to be because I think we all know roughly what that will be. Will, thank you so much. Great stuff as always. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. Check out his website, prepra.com. It's prep-ra.com. If you or anyone you know is interested in pursuing 
the next level as a collegiate athlete, and that's focused on the academics as well as the athletics. You have to check out prep-ra.com for everything from help with your sports. It's football. You said you do a little bit of other stuff as well, a little bit of basketball, a little bit of baseball. It's also SAT prep. It's tutoring. It's all the things that you need to get you completely prepared to be a complete student athlete at the next level, prep-ra.com. Will, again, thanks so much. Great stuff as always, and we'll talk to you on the other side of the college football regular season. Enjoyed it as always. Looking forward to it. Thanks again so much to Will. Hope you all enjoyed that. Going a little bit longer, talking a little big picture, national college football stuff, which we don't get as much of a chance to do on here. So I do hope you enjoyed that. Wes and Chris and I are going to be back with another Carolina podcast tomorrow. I know, uh, I think Chris maybe is traveling on Wednesday. I, I think it was Chris. Maybe it was Wes. I can't even remember who texted me earlier. But one of them is traveling Wednesday. So we are bumping up our another Carolina podcast schedule. So y'all will get that tomorrow afternoon, just in time to enjoy it for hopefully when y'all are getting off for work or school or whatever to head home for the holidays or just enjoy a day off before we all gorge ourselves on Thanksgiving. So be on the lookout for that. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast and all the other podcasts on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Hope you enjoy the Clemson game. Hope you find something entertaining to take away from it. And if not, then I just hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday week and weekend. And we'll talk to you next week.